0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse, an evangelist of incredible intellect, extraordinary language skills, and a true expositor of the scriptures. After high school, Barnhouse enrolled in Biola Bible Institute of Los Angeles. He studied doctrine with Reuben Archer Torrey, and he did personal work with Thomas Corwin Horton. Today, Dr. Barnhouse presents Scripture with Comments from Luke chapters 19 and 21.
1: We come this morning to the 19th chapter of that third gospel. Last week we read the parable of the unjust judge and Christ's statement on attaining eternal life. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus which was the chief among the publicans and he was rich. A publican in those days was a sub-agent of the Roman Empire who f- farmed out taxes because they did not collect taxes by tax forms. But the government in Rome sold, for example, for Palestine would sell to a certain senator The right of taxing Palestine, and he would give them, we'll use American figures, he would give the Roman government in Rome five million dollars. Then he would go and he would have district men and he would sell counties for ten million and he'd have five million profit and then they'd go and gouge the people for twenty million and have that for themselves. It was a farming out process of taxes, which, of course, Uh, ground the face of the poor since these men had Roman soldiers to come and collect. And they would walk into the farmyard and collect loose cows or anything else that they wanted. Now Zacchaeus was this type of man. He was in this tremendous ring of the tax gatherers and all the more hated because he was a Jew working for Rome, the equivalent of a Jew in Germany working for Hitler. Now, Zacchaeus was this type of man. He was chief of the publicans. In other words, he probably had bought for a large price a whole Jericho Valley district, and he had men under him doing the actual dirty work of getting the taxes, but he had become immensely rich in the profiteering. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for Jesus was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now, here you see, of course, the knowledge of Christ. He went that way. When it says he was to pass that way, he was to pass that way because in his sovereignty As in the 4th of John, he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus was going from Jerusalem to Nazareth, and he must needs go through Samaria, but geographically he must needs do nothing of the kind. It's like a boy who has arrived in San Francisco from Korea, and he's coming to Philadelphia, and he must needs go through Miami, Florida. Well, there are shorter roads, but if he's going there to see a fiancé or something like that, The longest way around is the way of the heart. And the Lord Jesus passed through Samaria because the Samaritan village was to be won. And Jesus was to go down this road to Jericho because he knew there was going to be a man in the tree. You can never get out of the sight of the loving gaze of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus looked and saw him and called him by name and said, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowds, because they knew where their money had been going, how the graft ring worked, they all murmured, saying that Jesus was gone to be a guest with a man who was a sinner, a collaborationist, a traitor to the Jews. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. That shows you a little nature of how the thing was done. False accusation. If any man had something, they just would trump up a tax bill, go in with witnesses and take it away from him. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save good people. No, that isn't what it says. Nice people. No, that isn't what it says. Aren't you glad that it didn't say that because you know yourself well enough to know that, except in your proud moments, you wouldn't qualify. But the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, Jesus added and spake a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. That is to say that he was the Messiah and they'd seen his power and his miracles and they thought that any day he was about to declare himself the Messiah and throw down the power of Rome and declare a Jewish theocracy with himself ruling and that they would exploit the Romans for in their unregenerate hearts, they did not realize what the kingdom of God would be and its characteristics. Jesus said, therefore, a certain nobleman, that's Jesus, went into a far country, that's heaven, to receive for himself a kingdom, and that's what he's doing now, and to return in the second coming of Christ. That's when the kingdom will be. And uh, this nobleman called his ten servants, that's you and myself, and he delivered to them ten pounds. Talents, gifts, time, money, possession, your personality, your smile, your ability to make friends, your ability to do little detailed work in a place where you're unseen by the world. Whatever God has given you to do. Mother, your ability to bring up your children. Father, your ability to be faithful and bring home the paycheck week by week. Well, whatever God has given you. And he said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him. Tragedy, isn't it, that the world should look that way on Jesus, the nobleman? And people say, oh, but Dr. Barnhouse, the world doesn't hate Jesus today. Haven't you read The Christmas Spirit? Don't you know? I am frightened at what I see in America. The other night I was on a train. I got on at Newcastle, Pennsylvania on a Friday night and I went into the dining car to get a sandwich. There were 30 or 40 people in there drinking and singing. They were singing a Christmas carol and then they were singing down by the old mill stream and then they were singing a Christmas carol and they were singing, O come all ye faithful. And I joined in, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And there was a ten a five-second pause, and someone said, who put the overhauls in Mrs. Murphy's chowder? And everybody laughed, and they began to sing. And I thought to myself, here's a group of people for whom the words, oh, come, let us adore him, slip out in a Christmas carol, and they haven't the remotest idea. Oh, the United States has changed the pledge of allegiance to the flag so that this nation under God but I wonder how many people look upon God as being over the United States. Most people in America are looking upon God as being a nice ally. Stronger than Russia and good to have. But how many people think of the nation as being under God? Where is there a sense of sin in the country? Where is there a sense of bowing? His citizens hated him. And there are a lot of people in the United States that sing Christmas carols and hate the idea that Jesus should totally master their lives. They sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, having received the kingdom, in the second coming this is going to happen, that he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Here was a man that had used his talents and had brought others to Christ who had witnessed for Christ in love. This is not talking merely financially. It's using a financial illustration of gain to show how spiritually we must use everything that God has given us of love, joy, peace, and all the rest to truly to witness for him. He said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, Have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. Another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou laidest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And and he saith to him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man. Austere means stern. Taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank that at my coming I might have required my own with usury, with interest. For the Lord says he has given you your talents, everything that you have, not that you might spend them on yourself. You are a trustee. The Bible says you are a steward. Well, that's an old-fashioned word. You're a trustee in modern terms. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten. And they said, Lord, he already has ten. Well, said the Lord, I say to you, that to every one that hath shall be given. If you have used your life for the Lord, you'll have, in addition, a reward. And from him that hath not, from him that hath not used all that God has given him, Even that that he hath shall be taken away from him. Now it does not say at all that this man wasn't saved. In fact, I would believe that he was the one mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3 where all his works were burned away yet he himself was saved yet so as by fire in heaven but without any reward. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Someone says, does God act like that? Oh, certainly he does. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Our God is a consuming fire. And our God is also love and is so willing to give you everything if, if you let him. And when Jesus had thus spoken, he went ahead and ascended up to Jerusalem, up the long hill. It came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, two little villages about four and five miles outside of Jerusalem, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go you into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat, loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say to him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said, why do you loose the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. It's an amazing sentence. These people, of course, were humble people. It may be in their minds that they had thought of somebody like Lord Zacchaeus who took everything they had. But in this case... The Holy Spirit was dominating, and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus there, thereon. And as they went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and prayed, praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen. See, they thought that now this was the moment of the revolution. They thought that in few hours he would exercise his great power and Jerusalem would be free from Rome and they would no longer be an occupied country, saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Now, when the Pharisees asked that they rebuked the disciples, This goes to show an amazing thing here. Now, the disciples were all confused. They thought the kingdom was going to be there that minute. And so they were praising. And the Pharisees said, rebuke them. And Jesus said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Well, they were confused, weren't they? Yes, but the Lord was going to have worship. I must go back to tell you just this story on the word austere. To me, it's one of the most beautiful things and one of the most comforting things I know. General Booth of the Salvation Army led to Christ, a London fishmonger, an illiterate cockney, who did not know how to read and write, but this man was filled with zeal. And every night he used to go to the Salvation Army and listen to Booth preach. Then the next morning, around four or five o'clock in the morning, when all the fish comes into the docks to London at Covent Garden to the fish market, this man used to get up and preach what he'd heard the general preach the night before. He had memory enough so that when Booth preached, he could go and preach it on the street corner and give an invitation for the fishmen to be saved. And one night he went and heard Booth preach on what we've just read. "I know that thou art an austere man, an austere man." And the next morning he got up in front of his congregation of fishmen, illiterate cockneys. He said, oh, men, God loves us, and Jesus came to die for us. Now, Jesus wasn't a rich man from the West End. Jesus was like we. In fact, he was lower. Jesus was an oyster man. I heard the general say it last night. Now, he said the oyster men, everybody knows, their hands are cut with the shells. They have hard hands. They're callous. They're cut and hurt. They do the hard work. And Jesus was an oyster man. I didn't know it till I heard General Booth say it last night. But all oh men, God loves us. And Jesus came and suffered with us. And he's like us. And that day he gave the invitation and 12 men were saved. Isn't it wonderful that God Almighty can take an illiterate cockney who doesn't know the meaning of the word austere and gets as near to it as he can and God uses it. All of which goes to show that God doesn't save, anything, save anybody because of the brilliance of the preacher. Nobody has ever been blessed because of a human personality. Nobody has ever been blessed because of the talent of a man. The gifts, the talents, the personality may get in between the ministry and the heart. But if there's anybody who has ever been blessed, it's been by the word of God coming through by the Holy Spirit into the heart. Never forget that fact. And so it was that when these people... Right in this same chapter, these disciples ignorantly saying, oh, the kingdom is now here, praise God. And the Pharisees said, rebuke them. And Jesus said, they shall not be rebuked, because from their hearts they were making Jesus king. And that was the important thing. And when Jesus was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. It happened in the year 69 and 70. And the book of Deuteronomy was fulfilled. Everything that Deuteronomy said, that they ate their own children, cannibalism. The details are all written in the book of Deuteronomy. And he shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying to them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. By the way, I saw the first half of this sentence engraved in stone on a million dollar church building in Texas, my house is the house of prayer. The second half they didn't have in the sculpture. But you have made it a den of thieves. And Jesus taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do for all the people were very attentive to hear him.
0: Dr. Barnhouse now continues with Luke chapter 21.
1: The scene of this chapter is at the very end of Christ's life. His three years' ministry were behind him. He came to Bethany in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he lived there during the last week of his life. He came into Jerusalem three times, on Saturday, on Sunday, and on Monday, On Saturday he came in as king, on Sunday he came in as priest, and on Monday he came in as prophet. On Saturday he came in as king and they strewed palm branches in his hand and cried Hosanna. He went into the temple, and it being Saturday there was no hubbub, no sale of doves and so on. He looked around and then went home. On Sunday he came in to the temple acting as priest and cleaned the place up. Turning over the tables of the money changers and casting out them that bought and sold. On Monday he came in, and the leaders of the temple came and asked him by what authority he did what he had done the day before. And he asked them by what authority they had rejected John the Baptist, and they dared not answer him a question. And he said, I'll give you one sign. You see, all these things, not one stone shall be left upon another. Then he went out towards home, towards Bethany, and passed out the Mount of Olives. And on the summit of the Mount of Olives, looking back at the city at sunset, the disciples asked him questions about what he had said in the morning, the course of the age. And out of that, uh, there comes the chapter we're about to read. He is still now in the church, in the temple rather, in the temple on that last day. He looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. By the way, whenever you talk about it, never say the widow's mite. Don't rob her of half she gave. She gave two mites. It was almost a half of an American penny added up for a mite was about a quarter of an American penny. But it was all she had. Some of us don't realize how fortunate we are in this country. I said just this morning as we sat down at breakfast and I looked at the breakfast and I said, don't forget that we today and everybody that's had a good breakfast this morning, you're in the top one one thousandth of one percent of the population of the earth as far as food is concerned. And the widow gave her two mites. She gave everything she had And Jesus said of a truth I say to you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all for all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. And as some spake of the temple how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts he said as for these things which you behold the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him that evening, we know from Matthew, they went out of the temple and on the way home from the top of the Mount of Olives, they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And Jesus said, Take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am and the word Christ, you'll notice, is in italics. It is not in the Greek. I am, saying, that I am Jehovah, I am the Messiah, I am God's man. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. Some of you who heard my radio sermon this morning you know what a wonderful truth may be brought out of Christ's statement in the midst of this war-weary world that we need not be concerned about it, for he is on the throne. Be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by, not right away in modern English. Then said Jesus unto them: Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Now that's not happening in the United States, it's happening in other parts of the world. Wang Mingdao, the number one Christian in China the Peiping Radio announced about two and, half, two and a half months ago that he'd been executed as an enemy of the Chinese People's Republic, standing for the truth has been killed. Thousands and thousands have thus been killed while you and I have been alive. In Russia, in Korea, in China, and now in Indochina. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall not to meditate before what ye shall answer. Now, this doesn't mean if you're to prepare a sermon, don't prepare it. If you're to give a sermon, don't prepare it. But if you're suddenly called into court for a Christian witness, not to worry about your defense, the Lord will give you in that moment. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Now this primarily refers, of course, to the great tribulation after the second coming of Christ for the church. But the trend is through all of this age. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. See, that's so remote from the popularity of religion in the United States today that it causes us to tremble as we consider what is happening in our country with a tremendous lip service to God. And I wonder if it cannot be said of our country This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But there there shall not a hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, and now his prophecy becomes immediate, and this was fulfilled in the year 69 and 70. For 30 years after Christ died, 40 years after Christ died, Jerusalem was taken by the armies of Titus, Rome, When the city was destroyed, they pulled down every stone, sowed salt on the ground that nothing should grow. And there was cannibalism. We know that people ate their own children, that in the course of the year, uh, that there were the most frightful tragedies in the city of Jerusalem that perhaps have ever befallen any city. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. This means then that what happened to Jerusalem in the past is a pageant of the worse ills that are to come upon the land in the future at the time of the second coming of Christ. But woe unto them which are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into Philadelphia, into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun. Now this leaps forward to the future. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after these things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Now, it may be chance And I don't stress it and I don't make a doctrine out of it, but the Greek here for these three words are tremendous. The powers of the earth, uh, excuse me, the powers of heaven shall be shaken. For the word powers is in Greek is dynamis from which we get our word dynamite. And the word for heaven, it's very, it's Uranus from the old god Uranus after which they named the ultimate planet, the farthest from the earth, after which they named uranium, which of course is fissionable and gives us the atom bomb. The powers of uranium uranium shall be shaken, shall be thrown off balance. Now it's a triple pun, and if I say I make nothing about it, but it's a bit of curiosa, which at least is, is worth realizing. He's talking about signs in heaven and he says, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. The, the explosive forces of the heavens shall be put off balance in the very vocabulary which being used today. Now, someone says, but that's coincidence. All right, but these coincidences do not exist in the Upanishads or in Confucian writings or in Shakespeare or in anything else but the Bible. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable, behold the fig tree and all the trees. Now the fig tree, the morning before, he had cursed a fig tree because it had no fruit. And that night it was withered. And now he says, learn a parable of the fig tree. And you go back to the Old Testament and the fig tree is the Jewish nation. Now he says, learn a parable of the fig tree because back in the Old Testament you have the whole story of the parable of all the trees and so on, and the fig is definitely Israel. Behold, Israel, and all the nations. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know you that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now, that generation means what we call a generation. I have no sympathy with uh, the type of interpretation that tries to make generation mean this nation. But I think it means beyond question that the generation which sees the beginning of the fulfillment of these prophecies shall also see the end. That's what Christ is talking about, that all of the events of prophecy will come in one span of lifetime. Now, don't go away and say that I said that these events have already started. For we have no way of knowing, there is no possible way of meshing our calendar with the calendar of biblical prophecy. We don't know. I can conceive of a set of circumstances whereby Christ would not come again for a hundred years. And we might have great peace if we had enough strength of cobalt bombs and other things to keep Russia in her corner. Where she would not dare to attack, we might have a long period of peace. But on the other hand, the Lord might come for us before the benediction today. We're to be ready. We do not know. But when these events truly begin, when the Lord removes us, the rest will all come in the lifespan of one generation. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Don't sing that hymn, Jesus never fails, heaven and earth may pass away. No, no not may pass away, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. He's talking about his words. Not himself, that he of course is eternal, but his words, the scripture, shall not pass the things that he has spoken. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare, a trap, shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the son of man. In other words, the rapture takes place before the tribulation. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him.
0: You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.